It's nice to see you this morning. We're starting a new series on God's will for my life. And today I want to talk about clearing up the confusion because I think there's a lot of confusion when it comes to what's God's will. There's a lot of frustration about it. People kind of get lost in it trying to find out what God wants them to do. We do know this, though. We understand the most important thing I can do is discover God's will and get right in the center of it. We know that. We just don't know how to discover it. And we get lost there. Here's what Ephesians 5, 15 through 17 says. Be very careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. He's telling us that he wants us to understand it. So if God wants us to understand what his will is, why is it so difficult to understand it? Why is it so hard to figure it out? Like, Lord, you just said you want us to understand what your will is. But I don't know what you want me to do with my life. I feel lost. I feel like I'm just guessing. I think one of the reasons we have a hard time understanding God's will for our life is we have misconceptions about what it really means. And with those misconceptions, it leads us down the wrong path. So let's look at what God's will is. And what I'm really going to do is talk a little bit about what God's will is not. So in your notes, God's will is not a feeling. It's not a feeling. That's a mystical approach where you get some sort of emotion, some sort of sensation, some sort of impression that you believe is from God. And therefore, based on that, you do what you think God's will is. And there's danger in that. Have you ever met people that just have that pipeline to God that says, God told me this? Or how about this? God told me this to say to you. Have you met people like that? Watch out. Don't trust that. I have a lot of theological problems with people going to somebody else and saying, God told me this to tell to you. Because first of all, how do we know it's God? Now, if what they're sharing with you is, you know, some things are obvious. The Bible says don't do something, and they're saying, God told me to tell you that you shouldn't do that. Well, anybody that reads the Bible, God's telling us that we shouldn't do that, right? But when people start having this word from God like that, be careful of that. I was reading this week on, it just so happened this week that they had an article on AOL about Jim Jones. If you don't remember him, he's the guy that got this gathering of people that were following him because God spoke to him in a special way, and he would tell people what God was saying. And what happened is he led them all the way to a point where uh, they all drank the poison Kool-Aid and all committed suicide together, following a man that was supposedly speaking from God of what to do. See, I would be leery on things like that, and here's why. When you read the Bible, do you notice that Moses spoke to God face-to-face? I don't know anybody that's done that. Paul actually had Jesus and heard Jesus' voice talk to him. And yet, when you look at Paul, you look at Moses, you look at people in the Bible, they'll get into situations of life, and they don't know for sure what God wants them to do. So if they didn't know, and they're the ones that God was working with so much that they wrote the Bible... What makes you think this clown is getting a direct word from God? 
Okay? So I just look at it like that. Don't trust those things. What you do is you trust the Bible. Someone shares with something, take it with a grain of salt. If the Bible agrees with it, then you say, okay, yeah, that is from God. But if they share something with you and it's not, and they're saying it's from God and the Bible doesn't talk about it, then take it with a grain of salt. You cannot trust things like that because too many times things come from people's emotions and their feelings. And look what Jeremiah 17, 9 says. The heart is deceitful. It is desperately wicked. So what happens is we can't trust that feeling that comes in our heart because it might be desperately wicked. You never know what the motive is behind it. You can't always trust those things. What you can trust is the Bible, okay? I feel like God's calling me to do this. You open up the Bible, and you see if the Bible agrees with it. Because have you ever felt like something that after you read the Bible, you found out that your feelings were wrong? There's a lot of things that we might feel that when you read the Bible, you feel like, oh, the way I felt about it isn't what the Bible says. That's why the bottom line has got to be the Bible. It can't be anything that somebody's feeling. It can't even be what you're feeling. Because too many times we feel a certain way and it ends up being wrong. You know the classic example I give. Have you ever felt like I met the perfect woman? I met the perfect man. This is the one for me. And then it didn't work out. But what was wrong with that? There's only one thing wrong. It was your feelings. You felt like it was a perfect man, perfect woman for you. But as you started dating them, you found out, no. Well, what was wrong? It's your feelings that were wrong. Have you ever felt like, oh, I think God just gave me this person. You give God the credit that you met this person. But then when you get in the relationship, you realize, no, this is not what God gives me. Why? Because your feelings are wrong over and over and over again. So you can't trust them. If you can't trust your own feelings, don't trust somebody else's feelings of what they're saying to you is from God. Because you don't know if that's from God or not. But if you read the Bible, 100% you can tell it's from God. You read the Bible, it's going to be from God. So go with the sure thing. Only trust the sure thing. The second thing is, God's will is not a formula. This is the mechanical approach to God's will. See, we want that recipe. We want something easy where we say, 10 easy steps to God's will. But when you read books, and most books, by the way, on God's will, it says, if you do this, this, and this, you'll find God's will. They have a formula set. The only thing is, depending on what book you read, it comes out differently. So which book is right? Well, I notice when I read the Bible... It doesn't say a step approach. Here's the steps to God's will. Step one, step two, step three, step four. The Bible doesn't have that. And all the people that are reading the Bible and making their own steps up don't match. If it was really clear in the Bible, wouldn't everybody that wrote these books about God's will have the exact same steps? They would. If it was clear in the Bible, they'd have the exact same steps. They have different steps because they're guessing. They're giving it their best educated guess. Maybe some educated guessers are better than others. But they're still just giving it their best educated guess. Let me tell you what's wrong about a formula other than it doesn't work. Formula is like you're going to bake a cake. To make, bake the cake, you do this, you do this, you do this. What happens if you leave out the baking soda? You end up with pancakes, right? Some sort of flat thing. Why? Because, oh, I didn't follow all the steps. So I ruined everything. 
And if you believe that you're following these steps, if you miss a step, you're going to ruin it all. And then, oh, I guess I have to settle for second best because I ruined it. I missed God's plan for my life. And I'm telling you, God's plan for your life is bigger than your mistakes. In fact, he'll even use the mistakes you made, the stupid things that I've done. He'll use those to, in his great mercy and grace to help me to learn so that I can get to where his plan is for my life. It's the complete opposite of what people want to think. There are people that disqualify themselves because I made this big mistake and it ruined my life. No mistake ruins your life. Your life is only ruined if you want it to be ruined. Every mistake is used for your good. I've even heard people say, you know, I should have never married them. That was my mistake. I should have never married somebody. And because I did that, I guess I'm going to have to just settle for God's second best. Do you know how ridiculous that is? Because here's what they're thinking. I married the wrong person. People think there's a right person for them out there. So what happens is there's a misright or misright for me. But, oh, I blew it. I married the wrong person. That means... She married the wrong person too. That means the person I was supposed to marry ends up marrying the wrong person because I was supposed to marry them. The person she was supposed to marry ends up marrying the wrong person. That means those people that were supposed to marry somebody else end up marrying the wrong person. It's a chain reaction. Boom, 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 boom. Isn't that irrational? Isn't that crazy? Because the truth about it is when you read the Bible, the Bible never tells you who you're supposed to marry. It tells you how to be a husband, how to be a wife. Because that's God's will. It doesn't tell you who to marry. It says, when you're married, this is how you're supposed to be a man. When you're married, this is how you're supposed to be. That's God's will. The Bible never tells you what college to go to. It tells you how to act at college. Okay, that's God's will. The Bible never tells you which job to take. It tells you how to act at work. That's God's will. You know why that is? Because there's probably a hundred jobs you could take and be in God's will. There's probably a billion people you can marry and still be in God's will. God doesn't tell you those things. We're looking for the wrong thing. We don't understand. We have a choice on a lot of things. There's a lot of choice that we're allowed to make, and they're all within God's will. It's just a matter of what am I going to do with those choices I made? That's when I'm in God's will. Wow. God wants me to read the Bible. That's God's will. There's things that are very clear that are God's will that we can do. Throughout Scripture, believers make mistakes. In other words, they, they broke the formula. And you know what? They still end up doing great things for God because God's will is still going to happen. It's still going to happen. That doesn't mean that there's not consequences from those mistakes. But God's still working through it because God's bigger than it. Number three, God's will is a fellowship. Another word for that would be like a friendship. I like the way that 1 Corinthians writes it in 1.9. God is the one who invites you into this wonderful friendship with his son, Jesus Christ. Notice how God's will is not rules. It's a relationship. It's not a life map. See, we're thinking, what's God's will for my life? It's this life map that I'm supposed to follow. Nope. When you read the Bible, God's will is a lifestyle that you're supposed to follow. See the difference? We're trying to find God's will, and we're looking at the wrong thing. We think it's an agenda, and God's saying, no, that's not my will. It's an attitude, which means if it's an attitude, 
I can be in God's will if someone throws me into prison. I can keep my attitude. I can keep my lifestyle. I can be in God's will if I have an accident and I'm in the hospital. I can keep my attitude. I can keep my lifestyle. Do you understand what I'm saying? God's will has very little to do with those other things. It has to do with you being the person that God's called you to be. That's, what, that's God's will for your life. You're going to be in all kinds of circumstances, and God wants you to be in his will. When you study scripture, you don't find these t- other techniques of how to find this agenda. I mean, you, you find things like when you're making a decision, you find things to pray about the decision, talk to wise people about it to help you make good decisions. But God's will is thus about that decision you make. It's more about how you act in the situation you're in. So some people, are, they're so afraid. What if I make the wrong choice and I go to this job instead of that job and that's the one I was supposed to make? Oh, what if, what if, I, what if I blow it? What if I blow it? That's what we're focusing on. And God is saying, make a decision. You're focusing on the wrong thing. It's less about this job or that job. To be in my will means how are you going to act in the job you have? How are you going to act in the job you have? There's not a right answer. It's a choice on which job I go to. Sometimes God will clearly make it something known to you. Like just through circumstances and, and, you know, some things are very clear. Like, wow, this is pretty clear that I should be doing this. But most of the time it's not clear. Most of the time you have to take a step of faith because you just don't know. But that's why we live by faith. But what is God's will? It has less to do with where you end up in that step of faith. It's more to do with your attitude and what type of person you are in that direction that you're headed. That's God's will. That's God's will. You can make the right choice on the job, but be a horrible person at that job and be totally outside of the will of God. Do you understand? So it has less to do with where you are. It has more to do with who you are in character. What type of person are you being? People say, I want to know God's will for my life. Well, if you read the Bible, you already know God's will. You already know God's will. It's like this. One thing that's really clear is that his will is a fellowship, right? It's a friendship. It's God's will that I have an intimate, deep relationship with him. I already know that. That's what he wants. So, why would I expect God to guide me in other things if I'm not willing to do the thing that he... There's thousands of clear verses on. There's thousands of clear verses on how important it is that I'm intimate with God. Okay? Why would God answer these other questions if I'm ignoring the obvious? So what's God's will for my life? Well, I don't know everything, but I know for sure it's his will that I'm intimate with him. So since I I 100% know that that's God's will, I'm going to start praying every day and reading my Bible and listening to him and talking to God and letting him talk to me through scripture. I'm going to go to church, right? Do the obvious. Do the obvious. Do the things that he's 100% said, this is my will. Because I don't think he's going to show you the next step if you're not doing the things he's already told you to do, right? If I'm a boss, have an employee, and I'm saying, do this, do this, and do this, 
You know, I'm guiding him along to get to where I want him to be. And he's not willing to do these two, three things that are going to get him to where he needs to be. I'm never going to give him the opportunity to get there. He'll ruin things. It's not that that's not my desire for him. You know, I want all my employees to be there. But before you get there, you need to do this and this and this. In fact, if he keeps refusing, keeps refusing, keeps refusing, he won't be working in my company very long. Right? We have to do the obvious. To get there, do what you know God wants you to do. I don't know what God's will is, but I know what I'm doing over here is definitely not his will. Would you agree that there's some things that we sometimes get involved in that we know are wrong? Okay, God, what's your will for my life? And he's saying to stop doing what you already know is wrong. Start there. Start with that. Stop doing that thing that you know is wrong and get on the right path. And then let's go from there. But what we want to do is we want to ignore the things that we 100% clearly know we're not supposed to do. We want to ignore the 100% things that are so clear and we expect him to tell us his agenda for our future. It's not going to work that way. It's never going to work that way. So what's God's will for my life? Well, he tells me he wants a relationship with me, so let me start there. He told me not to do this, so let me not do that. And then you start doing God's will. You st you're already doing God's will. And then you just continue that path of doing God's will. You're reading the Bible. Oh, that's something I should be doing. You do God's will. Oh, that's something I should stop doing. You understand? And you continually just do God's will with what you know. And you know what else will happen? He'll also start guiding you in those things that aren't in the Bible. But it starts with those things. It starts with the obvious things. When Tanya and I were building a relationship with each other, it wasn't about rules. It was about friendship. She was in Brazil and we would talk through Skype. You know, a relationship is never built on rules. I think one of the problems that we have with God is we think our relationship with God is built on rules. What's a good relationship with God? I don't do these things and I do these things. The do's and don'ts. No. Have you ever had a relationship with a man or woman and it's built on do's and don'ts? No. It's about friendship, right? Getting to know each other in a deeper way, being more intimate with. You know, some people, their relationship with God is a bunch of rules. Well, I hope I don't break the rules. I hope I, you know, don't smoke. You know, don't use drugs. Uh, don't get drunk. I mean, these are obviously, these are healthy things, right, not to do. These are healthy things. But that's not a relationship with anybody. That's just me keeping rules. A relationship is someone that you talk to, that you become their friend. God wants to have a relationship with you. It's that type of thing that is God's will. There's a lot of freedom in God's will, but people just don't recognize it. Christians don't recognize it. With almost every choice, there's a lot of freedom. Like I've said, you could, there's probably a billion people that you could marry and be in God's will. That's a lot of choices. There's probably hundreds and hundreds of places you could work and be in God's will. There's probably thousands of churches you could go to and be in God's will. Uh, uh, wait, wait, wait. No, no, no. Take that one back. Just here. No, I'm teasing. Um, but there's thousands of universities a person could go to and be in God's will. And we need to realize that because being in God's will has more to do with my attitude and am I obeying God than 
those other issues that we think are the important issues. And they're not the important issues. The important issue is my attitude. What type of person am I in that situation? You know, God never tells you how many kids to have. He tells you how to raise kids. God, how many kids do you want me to have? He says, I think you should be talking to your wife about that one. Right? But I'll tell you how to be a parent. So that's, that's God's will. Let's look at attitudes that block God's will in your life. Number one, don't be fatalistic about God's will. This is an attitude that if something happens, it must be God's will. This is Islam, by the way. It's not Christianity. Islam is built on this. It's fatalism where a person's in a car wreck and they die and they say, well, that was God's will. The Bible doesn't agree with that. That is not Christianity. Your son has leukemia. That's God's will. The Bible doesn't agree with that. The Bible doesn't say that. Have you noticed that if you get an insurance policy and it says things, we don't cover acts of God, what do they mean by act of God? When I think of an act of God, I think, oh, they don't cover miracles. You know, people get married and live in happily ever after. A baby being born and healthy. No, we don't cover any of that. No, what they mean is when they say act of God, they mean we don't cover earthquakes and tidal waves and somebody getting struck by lightning. Why is God the bad guy? Why is God the bad guy? There's one example in the Bible that I saw where it actually talks about nature happening and causing destruction. It's in the book of Job. And when you read the story, it's the devil that did it. Isn't that interesting? It wasn't God, it was the devil that did it? Hmm, what does that mean? Is it always that way? I, I don't know, but the one time it explains it clearly, it was the devil. We have this idea sometimes where it's God's will. There's a lot of things. It was not God's will if you got raped. That was never God's will. It is not God's will that your husband or your wife ran off on you. That's not God's will. Why is it that Jesus says in the Lord's Prayer for us to pray, Lord, that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven? Why are you to pray that? If, if God's will is already there, well, that's God's will. That's God, why, why are we praying that? Because it's already there. We're praying it because God's will isn't being done on earth, and we desperately need change. God, we need this. This world is going the wrong direction. I'm asking that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're praying in that direction because the obvious is that it's not being done. Because there's a lot of things that God gets blamed for, a lot of evil in the world that God gets blamed for, that God didn't do it. People did it. We live in a fallen world. Nature does things. People do things. But it's kind of weird that people say, like, if things are going good, boy, am I lucky. If things are going bad, God, you're so evil to me. Why isn't it the opposite? Things are going good. Thank you, God, for blessing me. Things are going bad. Why is it that people can treat me so wrong? Because that's usually the reality of how it is. So it's unfair when we start taking that fatalistic view. It's not biblical at all. There's nothing Christian about that type of view. And it's also unhealthy for you. Because in a fatalistic attitude where everything's God's will, you can't blame yourself. And I think to be healthy, we have to take responsibility for our actions. 
there are some things that happened in my life that they weren't God's will, but I can be a very good person. I can, you know, walk with God and everybody, but let's say that I'm a smoker, okay? I've got a good heart. I'm a loving person. I'm a good dad. I'm a good, but I'm just a smoker. It's just one thing. Now, if I start getting lung cancer at an early age, okay, so I'm in my 50s and I'm really suffering from lung cancer, okay, does that mean I'm a bad person? No. But there is a reason why, right? I'm suffering the consequence of something I'm doing, okay? So at age 55, can I be suffering from lung cancer and say, I guess it's just God's will? No, it was never God's will. Because God didn't really want me to smoke for 30 years. He didn't really want that. It's just something I chose to do, and it's a consequence of something I chose to do. It wasn't God's will. It was my will to take that risk, to take that risk. Doesn't mean the person's a bad person because we all have things, you know. But I'm just trying to say, I can be the best person. I can be a pastor of a church and really lead people to God, and, but... I can still do something that's harming me, and it's a consequence of my own actions. So sometimes when we say it's God's will, it's because we don't want to take the blame for something that we've done to ourselves. And I think we need to be able to say, yeah, I shouldn't have taken that route. Sometimes things happen, you never know why it happened. Sometimes you'll go your whole life, and you'll never know why. Like, why did that happen? I don't know. But I don't believe that God's in the business of causing harm to you. I think God's in the business of doing good. What happens with, this, with a fatalistic attitude is you start thinking everything's God's will. So people will say things like this. If it's God's will for me to get a job, he'll bring it to me. I say, no, no, no. It's God's will for you to get a job. Go out and get one, right? Go out and get one. If I stay at home and pray, God, bring me a job, bring me a job. If I'm really spiritual, I'm going to start hearing voices saying, go look for one. Right? God, I'm a good person. I want to get married someday. Bring me a wife. Come on, God, you can do it. And he said, I'm not against it. Go out there, meet people. And there's good places that you can go to meet people. But you can pray and pray and pray. And not make a choice to do anything and then blame God. Well, I guess it just wasn't God's will. And then you get to heaven and God said, why? I, I had such plans for you. It was my will for you to get married, but I couldn't get you out of the house. I said, join that singles group at the church. <laughs> or whatever. You know what I'm saying? But there's things that we have to do. And what happens is we're afraid because if, I ha- if it's up to me to make choices... What if I stumble and fall? You're going to stumble and fall. You're going to stumble and fall. It's not what if. I guarantee you. You're going to make some choices that weren't good, and you stumble and fall, and then you get up, oh, that wasn't good. And there's other choices you're going to make that you do well. It's like when a baby learns how to walk. No, 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 I don't want them to walk. No, 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 don't walk, don't walk. Why? What if he stumbles and falls? He's going to stumble and fall. Guaranteed. Babies learning how to walk, stumble and fall. That's the only way that they learn how to walk. If you don't allow your child to stumble and fall, you're hindering his life. Sometimes God just has to say, I'm going to let you stumble and fall. 
That's part of maturity. That's how you learn to be a better person. That's how you learn to do these things. Look at John 7, 17. If anyone chooses to do God's will, circle that word chooses. So it's a choice. It's not fatalistic. It's a choice. It's something that you have to choose to do. If anyone chooses to do God's will, he will find out whether my teaching comes from God. So it's a choice. We have a lot of freedom in this. I have to choose to do it. I have to choose to go for it. Because I don't believe that God gave us a, a brain and we're not supposed to use it. I think he gave us a brain and he's expecting us to use it. He's expecting us to try and do our part. Why do we miss God? Sometimes because we're fatalistic. We think everything is God's will. And then we don't do anything. We don't take responsibility for ourselves. And there's a lot of things in this world that is not God's will. It was never meant to happen. God can use it for your good, but it wasn't good. You go through some sort of tragedy. God can use it for your good, but it's not good that it happened. You're a victim of a crime, of some sort of abuse. Can God use that for your good? Yeah. Is it a good thing that happened? Of course not. It's not a good thing that happened. That wasn't God's will that someone abused you. Number two, don't be fearful about God's will. This is another attitude that hinders us. Many of us, we're afraid of God's will because we think, God, I'll do your will, whatever it is. We're so sure if I said that, he's going to send me on the mission trip to, to spend the rest of my life in a part of Africa where I don't know the language, I don't like the food, and the living conditions are miserable, and I'm going to suffer the rest of my life. We have these crazy ideas, like if I really went to God and gave him, okay, I'm going to do your will, he's going to turn me into a fanatic. I'm going to become sort of, some sort of religious nut, and I'm going to be the type of Christian that I don't like. People have these strange ideas, like what does it mean to be in God's will? What happens is we take this idea that if I was to really say, God, I'm going to do your will no matter what it is, that somehow it's not going to be for my benefit. That's going to ruin my job. We don't trust that God has our best interest in mind. We really don't believe it. We don't think that God is looking out for what's best for me. As long as I don't believe that he's looking out for my best, I'm going to have some crazy idea. Now, let me add this to it. Maybe God is going to call you to go to a part of Africa that's very uncomfortable. Look at the Middle East. Look at the Middle East. The percentage of Christians there are so, you know, the northern, uh, let me say northern Africa. You look at there. The percentage of Christians there are so low. Maybe God is going to, God, I'll do whatever you want. And God says, okay, I'm going to send you to northern, northern Africa with food that you don't like, okay, with food you're not familiar with, and there's a need there, and God's going to use you there to reach people that don't know God for Christ. It's Muslim areas. It's very tough. What if God did that to you? He would only send you there if you were the best person for the job. If you were the right person, he'd send you there, and you'd have success, and it would be the most powerful experience that you could ever have in your life, okay? When I gave my life to the Lord, I had no idea I was going to be a pastor, because at the time I gave my life to the Lord, if there was one thing I would not want to be, it was a pastor. <laughs> you know, it, was no, it wasn't even on the radar, but God knew where he wanted me, and he worked out situation after situation to get me to where he wants to be. And now I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. Okay? 
So if God sent you somewhere, it's only going to be because it was the right thing for you, even though right now you can't see it. But you can't be afraid. You have to say, God, I'm going to do exactly what you want me to do, no matter what it is. And then he'll guide you in the way that you need to go. The root of that attitude of fear is really because you just don't trust that God has your best interest in mind. In Jeremiah 29, 11, it says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. God's will is an expression of God's love. If you're a believer, there's no condemnation for you. You don't have to be afraid. God knows what's going to make you happy. See, we think, I know what's going to make me happy. If I get this, this, and this, I'll be happy. You know, life, liberty, and the purchase of happiness. And that's not how it works. That's not how it works. And God says, I know what's really going to make you happy. You do my will, and you'll, have, you'll be happier than what you can imagine. Third, don't be frustrated by his will. That's another attitude. We get frustrated because what it really is is we don't know how to make decisions. And we're frustrated, like, on decision-making because we're so afraid if we make the wrong decision, it's going to mess us up. And God's not going to tell you the decisions. God's never going to say, get up at 7 o'clock. Okay. Eat Wheaties today, not cornflakes. Skim milk, not whole milk. But God, I like whole milk, but okay. God's not going to do that to you. That's not how God works. It's not about that. But he wants to build a relationship with you. He wants to have intimacy with you. He wants to know you as a friend. He wants you to know him as a friend, but we get frustrated because we're expecting God to guide our life in a different way instead of being mature and making choices. Some of us are resentful toward God because we prayed about something and we felt sure this is God's will. Wow, this is what God wants me to do. And I go for it and it bombs. Boom. And then we were resentful toward God. God, why did this happen? Well, maybe it wasn't God's will. More likely, if it was something good, maybe it was God's will. Maybe it was God's will. Why would God allow something to bomb? Because he's teaching you. I, I read over and over about successful people and how they got successful. And they said, because I tried this and boom, it bombed. And then I, instead of being resentful, they saw it as an education. Okay, I learned from that. Okay, hmm. Then they tried this one and it bombed. Boom. Okay, that didn't work too much. Let me try this one. Uh, Carnegie. I mean, he made mistake after mistake after mistake, but after he got 40 years old, everything went right. Most people give up by the... You know, if you make mistake in business, if you make a mistake after mistake after mistake, by the time you're 40, you quit trying, you just work for somebody else. Like, you learn, like, I'm, I don't have what it takes. Let me work for somebody else. I'll just be mediocre the rest of my life. It's not mediocre if you work for somebody else, but this is people that have the, the, the business mind to be successful, but the... The mistakes along the way disqualify themselves. You understand what I'm saying? Okay. The difference between Carnegie is he made mistakes and he learned from it, learned from it, learned from it, learned from it. By the time he was 40, instead of him giving up, he was an expert. <laughs> he figured out everything that doesn't work. And he shot to the top. I think he became the third uh, wealthiest man in the world. But it was after he was 40 years old that he started having success. Why? Because he learned from his mistakes. See, if something bombed, it doesn't mean that it's not God's will. It just means, okay, what can I learn from that? 
You learn from the mistakes so you can get better because I believe God has a great future for you. I think we just stop too soon. We give up too easily. And God really wants you to have more. But he's saying, don't give up. Don't give up. Learn from it. Learn from it. What, what happens when it bombs? You get bitter or better. But that's your choice. It's your choice. I can get bitter about it, or I can learn from it and get better because of it. If things aren't bombing, if you're not making mistakes, it's because you're not trying. Because anybody that's trying is going to have some failures along the way. Maybe you look at around at somebody, and you're trying to go for God. But you see this other guy who has incredible success and wealth, and they're definitely not going for God. And, and, and God, why is it that I'm trying so hard and I'm going broke? And I'm trying to do it the right way with eth, you know, ethical and with morals. And look at him and how he does it, and he's rising to the top. The temptation is to say, well, the only way you can be successful is to be unethical. That's the temptation. And that's why some people, you know, are frustrated with God's will for their life. And God is saying, no, 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 hang in there. Because while you're building relationships for the long term, he's burning relationships for the long term. Not so much where you are now. Hang in there. Keep doing it right. Watch what happens long term. Then long term, you're very successful, and he's out of business because of the way he did things. So you can't do that. You can't allow those things to frustrate you. You do the right thing no matter what they're doing. Look at Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. All things. That includes my mistakes. That includes if I'm a victim of a crime. That includes if someone walks out on me. That includes if I've raised kids the best I know how and they've rejected everything. In all things, God works for the good of those. In all things, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. So I'm saying as bad as certain things are, God will use them for your good. God has enough grace that even when things look bad, he can use it for the good. We just have to let him. We have to keep going. We have to not give up. God's will is a lifetime process of how I live, what I do, of not losing faith yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Just keep going in faith and keep believing and keep trying and don't give up. And don't be defeated. That's what God's will is. But you're going to have problems. There's only one group of people that never have problems, and that's dead people. The problems are over. But we're going to have problems. If you're not having problems, then check your pulse. Because that would mean that I must be the dead guy. So you're going to have problems. And when you get over one problem, another problem rises up. That's a part of life. Isn't it great that God uses problems and pleasure to guide our life in the way it needs to go? See, in our dreams, we think if I'm in God's center of God's will then everything's going to be great. And God's only going to use pleasures to guide me in the right way. That's not true. You get in the center of God's will, and you're going to have problems, and you're going to have pleasures. And when you're doing things God's way, both of them are going to be used to guide you in the direction you need to go. When you're not in the center of God's will, you're going to have problems and pleasures. And both of them are going to be used to drive you away from God. Pleasures can become a temptation that gets you off track. Problems can defeat you mentally and emotionally and get you to lose your faith. So 
whether you're in the center of God's will or not, you're still going to have problems or pleasures. But if you're in the center of God's will, it totally affects how it's used for your life. What is the right attitude? Not frustration, not fatalism, not fear, faith. Faith is the right one. You can fill in the blank there, faith. Hebrews eleven six 6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. That means that when you're living life in God's will, you're not going to always know the next step, right? You're not going to know the next step. And if God showed you the next 20 years down the road, you would not live in faith, which means you cannot please God. You can't please God if God shows you, here's what's going to happen in the next 20 years. It's impossible for you to please God. Impossible. Because it takes faith to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. That's what it says. So, what does God do? He says, here you are. Take a step of faith. But that's scary. I don't know where my foot's going to end up. You're in the dark. Because I'm not sure. Take a step of faith. You cannot please me unless you try. Okay, well, I believe this is where God wants me to go. Then something happens. He says, oh, okay, better go this way. Something happens. Oh, before you know, I'm, I, I make it to where I need to get. It probably won't be a straight line. But each step is going to be a step of faith. Oh, I'm going to learn from that one. Oh, this, one's getting, this step is getting me too far over here. I've learned. Okay, that's how God's going to work. And each step in life is going to be a step of faith, a step of faith, a step of faith. You're only going to see one step at a time. That's what maturity is. Being man enough, being woman enough to make a decision. The most immature people sometimes I meet are Christians. Because I meet them, and they have this idea that God's going to give them all these answers. And you look at their life, and it's horrible. You look at how they're living, and you think, if that's Christianity, and if that's the example that they're giving the world of Christianity, no wonder nobody follows. There's nothing holy about that. But then you meet these Christians that say, I think God wants to use my life to do something great. So they take steps of faith, and they try. Oh, that didn't work too well. Let me go over here. They try. And they end up doing great things, and people look at them and say, wow. And then you say, that's a great example of what God does in a man's life, what God does in a woman's life. That's a great example. We need more Christians out there going for it. But it was step of faith, step of faith, step of faith. The world can relate to that too. Wow, they took risks, and look at what happened. And they had integrity along the way. How do you start with God's will? Well, in 1 Timothy 2, 3, it says, This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. It starts there. To get in God's will, the first thing you have to do is get saved. He wants all men to be saved. In 2 Peter 3, 9, it says, God is not willing that anyone would perish. In other words, he doesn't want anyone to not know him. He doesn't want anybody to go to hell. He wants everybody to go to heaven. So what happens is it starts with that. Like, okay, I want to get in God's will. Let me first get Jesus in my life. Okay, Jesus, I give you my life. It always starts like that. I believe that you died for my sins. You've forgiven me. I want to be in a right relationship with you. God, I believe you've forgiven me. I want to be in a right relationship with you. Okay, I'll give you my life. It starts with that relationship with God. Then from there, the Bible guides us. The more word I get into my mind and into my heart, the more I'm going to understand God's will for my life. You can be a Christian 
But if you don't know what the Bible says, how will you know what's God's will? I talk about things like the Bible tells you how to be a good husband. It doesn't tell you who to marry you. That's good, but if I don't know what the Bible says about how to be a good husband, it doesn't help me, right? The Bible tells you how to be a good wife. It doesn't tell you who to marry you. But if you don't know what the Bible says, you still don't know how to be a good wife. The Bible doesn't tell you how many kids to have. It, it tells you how to be a good a dad, how to be a good mom. But if I don't know the Bible, it still doesn't help me. So step one, get in the center of God's will by having Christ in your life. Okay, God, I'm giving you my life. Then step two, you've got to read the Bible. Going to church is really good, but you just need more. So you read the Bible, you start learning what God's like. You start trying to understand him better. I say read the New Testament. Read the whole New Testament, even if it's just a chapter a day, and learn what Jesus is like. Learn what God is like. Learn what it means to turn the other cheek. Learn what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. Do unto others as you would have them to do unto you. You start learning these things. They start soaking in. And then you're just like, wow, I am living out God's will for my life. In my marriage, with my kids. Because I'm, I'm taking these things, I'm learning them, and they're producing fruit in my life because I'm reading and it's influencing me over and over. So, God, I give you my life is step one. The Bible is step two. Read the Bible, know what it says. Read the New Testament. In Psalm 119, 105, it says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. In those days... This was 3,000 years ago when that was written. And they had these little lamps that they would have that were lit. And you couldn't see but the steps you were taking. It wasn't like a high beam. They didn't have high beams back then. You could just see what's right in front of you. And you couldn't see way down the road if it's a dark, dark night. And that's what I'm saying it's like. When you're following God's will, you can't see way down the road. It's just doing what you see now. Well, what do I see now? I need to read my Bible. I see that. I know that's God's will. Okay, I'll do that. If that's the only thing that you know for sure is God's will, do that. I know God doesn't want me to do this or that. Don't do that. But do what you know is God's will, and you keep going down that path. And you might get to the situation where you'd say, but Jimmy, I like what you're saying, but there's only one problem. I've messed up my life so much. Jimmy, you don't understand. I've... I've messed up my life so much. There's no hope. Well, here's what God said to Joel. I will restore the years the locusts have eaten. The locusts, for a few years, ate all the crops and the people were starving. And it was hopeless. It was hopeless. They were doomed. And God said to them, I'm going to restore the years the locusts have eaten. And he did. And he did. And they ended up doing well. And everything worked out. But in that time, they felt hopeless. God's not the God of second best, but he is the God of second chances. You might have a plan for your life, and let's say that you blew it, okay? And you say, well, I ruined that plan. Do you know what God always does? He gives you a brand new best plan for your life. You know, there's no plan Bs for God. You know, oh, you ruined plan A, you have to settle for plan B. You lost God's plan for your life, you have to settle for second best. Do you know that there is no second? God doesn't know how to make up a second best plan. He only knows how to make up first best plans. I have this great plan for your life. Let's say that you totally blew it. God, I ruined it. No, I've got this, the best plan for your life that you can imagine. And it's just as good as the other one, even though it's a little bit different now. 
See, no matter what you think you've done to ruin it, God always gives you a best plan for your life. There is no second best plan for your life. But God has second chances. He just doesn't have second best plans. I'll give you the second chance to have this great plan for your life. I'll give you this third chance to have this great plan for your life. He's the God of the second chances. He's never the God of the second best plan. So even in the things I've done to ruin it, he has the best plan you can imagine for my life. Wow, that's God's grace. Aren't you glad that God only gives you the very best over and over again, whether you deserve it or not, whether you blew it six times? He gave you the very best, and you lost it, and you blew it. He gave you the best, you blew it. You get, and then number seven time, well, God's never going to help me again. And he said, wait a minute. I've got the best plan for your life. And it's always the best. It's never the second best because he's known for being having second chances. That's how much God loves us. We can't even ruin our own lives. We can't. I mean, we can choose to be bitter and go that route, but it's never too late for someone to turn around and get on the right track. It's never too late for someone to have the best plan for their life. Even we, as much as we mess up things, it's never too late for me to wake up and say, wow, I've got to get back with, right, with God and have a great plan for my life because God's only going to give you great plans. That's how much God loves you. If I had my son or daughter and they blew it big time, you know what, I, because I love my kids so much, so they blew it big time, well, you're just going to be a loser the rest of your life. Would you ever say that to your kids? No, you would do everything you could. Your kid's on drugs. His life is going the wrong way. And you're just like, oh, broken heart. You know what you're going to do? You're going to do everything you can to get that kid the help he needs to be healthy again and the right so that he can have a great plan for his life. How much more does God love you? Because I love my kids, and God loves us even more. God's in the business of wanting to give you the best. That's the God of the Bible. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I want to know what your will is for my life. We want to know your will for our lives. We want to know you. Lord, we're going to start with the things that we know for sure. We choose to have a relationship with you, to read your word, to do all the things that are clear, knowing that you'll continue to guide us, and we're willing to take steps of faith. We'll just take one step at a time, making choices the best that we know how, using our brain, but praying, talking to people. But Lord, we're trusting you. We know even if I make a mistake here or there, you're going to use it to guide me towards success. I just can't stop. So I'm going to keep following you, keep trusting you. And if I've stopped and fallen on my face, I'm going to get back up and go again. Because I know that you have great plans for my life. Lord, it's by faith that I choose to live this way. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.